0: Been in a teaching series for four weeks now. This is the fourth, seri- uh, fourth week of the series. If you don't know what a series is, a series what we're talking about is basically it's just a topic. We'll, we'll pick a topic and we're going to talk about that topic and kind of dive into it for a few weeks and kind of take it apart bit by bit so that we can really just uh, go deeper than we normally would be able to fit into just one service. Uh, so that's what a series is, and we have been in a series on labels. What we're talking about are, as you saw in the video, we're talking about the labels that, uh, that we carry. Some of these labels have been placed on us by others. Uh, some of these labels have been placed on us by society. And some of these labels we've placed on ourselves. And what we wanna do with this series, what we're endeavoring to do is we want to help you uh, break the chains of these labels, to take these labels off, much like you would take off a piece of, a piece of clothing. uh, You know, if there was a piece of clothing that just, you know, like after you've been, uh, like the other day, I was working out in the yard. And, man, I just, uh, you know, I'm not an outdoorsy kind of guy. I mean, I'll do it. I'll do it. But, I mean, I just, humidity, heat, I just, even though I was born and raised in Montgomery, I just, I don't like it. And so, but, man, when I get done doing yard work, I cannot wait to just get those dirty, sweaty, grassy clothes all off me and just get in the shower, but that's what we want you to do with these labels. We want to show you and teach you how to remove these labels and to replace them with the labels that God has put on you, what the Word of God says of who you are, and uh, in, this, uh, in this series, we're on week four, and we're closing it out today, and, you know, we all, we all carry labels, uh, whether it's something that we, we did in the past and we've been able to overcome it, or it's something that we do now. It's something that is just, it's part of human nature, unfortunately. And I want to talk about where that came from today. I want to talk about where did, where did this come from. You know, uh, like I said, you know, some of us, these labels were put on us by a parent. Maybe you had a parent that was very critical of you, and it seemed that you could never do anything right, or anything that you did, even if you did it right, it just, you could have done it better. And it was never, there was never an attaboy or a good job, it was, well, this is how you should have done it. You know, and you just felt like you never could measure up. Or maybe it was from, uh, you know, uh, society. You know, with I mean, we see it today now more than ever uh, with commercials and advertising and billboards. I mean, young girls are constantly having this pressure of these labels put on them of what a girl is supposed to look like, what a woman looks like, and what beauty is supposed to look like. And it's a lot of pressure that is being put on these young girls, and it's put it's putting a label on them that they will carry. And the unfortunate truth is it's something that they're going to have to battle. And it's a shame. Uh, Or maybe it's a label that you've put on yourself. Maybe it's, you know, there's an issue in your life that you just can't seem to get a hold of. And you know that this is something you got to get fixed in your life. But no matter how hard you try, whether it's drugs, alcohol, pornography, or, or just your anger, your temper, But it's something that no matter how hard you try, you just can't get a hold of it. And so you've just internally labeled yourself as this is who I am. No matter how hard I try, I'm not gonna be able to beat it. You know, my dad, excuse me, my dad, he uh, talks about, you know, he, he didn't grow up in church. His mom went to church, but as soon as he was, you know, I don't know, how old were you when you stopped? 12. As soon as he turned 12 years old, he told his mom, he said, well, I'm a man now. So dad doesn't go to church, so I'm not going to go to church. And, you know, my dad wasn't a bad guy. He was a, a good guy, but, you know, he had his struggles of things. And, you know, the way that he just saw it is some people are born good, you know, and some people are born bad. And he just saw himself as a bad seed. And he just accepted that label. And it was a label that he put on himself. I guarantee you, you know, his parents didn't tell him, you're bad seed or anything like that. It's just, it's something that he labeled himself as. And he carried that label until until he found Jesus at 24 years of age. And he finally realized that it wasn't a label that he had to carry. And so I want to help you with this today. But, you know, we have to start asking, you know, where where did this come from this feeling of just not being able to measure up this feeling of no matter what you do you just you're you're always going to deal with these struggles this is who you are that your struggles define you these characteristics define you you know a lot of times it's it, it comes in really what what i think it comes down to really is ultimately it's a feeling of not enough it's ultimately that's what it is i'm not uh, I'm not good-looking enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough. Maybe you had a parent that just told you, you're stupid. Maybe they called you stupid. I was watching a movie. Uh, I was watching a TV show the other day, and, and the dad, and it, it was trying to be funny, but I just thought, you know, Hillary actually, my wife, she looked at me, and she goes, there's a label right there. The dad was introducing his son, and he said, uh, this is my son, useless," and we just call him Useless. And you just saw the look on the kid's face. But I mean, what does that do to someone's psyche? Maybe it was an employer who just was verbally and emotionally abusive to you, maybe it was a teacher or a coach. You know, these feelings of, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm always going to be poor. I'm not rich enough. I can never make something of myself. I'm just useless. Good for nothing. This is who I am. I'm not righteous enough. I'm not righteous enough. This is that, and that, that's one that, man, I'll be the first to say that Christians or people that call themselves Christians, have completely misrepresented Jesus and they've completely misrepresented the message of Christ and the gospel to the world. And they make it like this one-up thing of you gotta get to my level. I'm more righteous than you. You need Jesus. I found Jesus. And until you find Jesus, you're just gonna be down here. You're gonna be beneath me. You gotta walk in this righteousness. You gotta get your life straightened out before God could truly love you. That's basically what they're saying. They won't say that. But that's the that's the message they're sending. That you're not good enough. And I wanna fight that today. You know, we asked the question, where where did this all start? Well, as Christians, we believe uh, the, what the Bible talks about, uh, that this all started in creation. Now, before I get into this, I just want to say, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you don't normally come to church. Maybe someone dragged you here. Maybe, you know, your, your neighbor or your spouse or somebody convinced you to come here today and you're just not really sure about, you know, all this, this God stuff or this Bible stuff or, you know, you're not really sure what you believe about it. You know, or maybe maybe you went to you know you had a professor in college that uh, told you that there are a lot of different creation accounts, you know, a lot of different uh, theories on what happened, but they're all just fairy tales, and that none of them are really true. Well, no matter what you believe, I want to tell you today to be open to the story that I'm about to tell you, because even if even if Adam and Eve, which we're about to talk about, which I believe were two people that lived 6,000 years ago that walked this earth, I believe it's true. You know why I believe it? Because Jesus believed it. And Jesus is Jesus, so that's good enough for me. But if you don't believe it, that's fine. What I want to ask is just have an open mind and just listen to it as a story because I wanna tell you that even if you don't believe it's true, there are some things in this story that you can really learn from. And I believe this story, this is why I use this story because I believe it tells a lot about human nature. That's the great thing about the Bible. If you read the Bible, it's not a story, this long book about all these perfect people. It's a story full of messed up people who were trying their best to do right. And some of them did pretty good, and some of them really screwed it up. But you know what's really great about God is even the ones that really screwed it up, they still had God's forgiveness. Their fate wasn't sealed by stupid decisions they had made. God still loved them. So... If you're not really familiar with the story of Adam and Eve, I mean, everybody, I know we've all kind of heard it before. You know, we all know the gist of it. But if you don't know, like, kind of like, you know, you, the details of it, it's been forever since you heard it. Basically, Adam and Eve, you know, first man and woman. Uh, God created uh, all, you know, the things of the earth, heaven and the earth. And on the sixth day, he created man. And then he put Adam into a deep sleep, took a rib out of Adam, and he formed Eve. He formed woman. And Adam and Eve, they... Uh, you know, they were living on the earth in the Garden of Eden. Everything was great. Uh, clothes were cheap. Weather was great. Economy was good. It was awesome. No crime in the neighborhood. It was the best place to live. It was so cool. Uh, schools were really great. I mean, it was awesome. If you Googled it, all 10 ratings. Um, but, so Adam and Eve are in the garden, and God put these two trees in the middle of the garden. And, you know, the garden was Filled with trees. I mean, it was just beautiful. All these fruit trees and everything. And God told Adam, and he said, you can have everything you see. Everything you see in this garden, it's yours. I mean, there were probably fruit trees that don't even exist today. They probably had this delicious fruit on it, so tasty, and they had access to all of it. But there were two trees in the very center of the garden that God put there, and he said, you know, one tree is the tree of life. And then the other tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now this tree, you can't have. Every other tree, it's yours. Anything you see, I made it for you, you have access to it fully, except for just this one tree. That's the only thing I ask of you, you know? And we don't know why, you know, if God, I mean, it, it was a test, that's what it was. But, I mean, if they were to say, well, why? You know, it was just, hey, just, just trust me on this. Let my word be good enough for you, and just trust me on this. Don't eat of that tree, because if you do, you'll surely die. So, of course, you know, if anybody has kids, you know how this story definitely works out. You know, you put something in front of the kid, and you say, well, don't do it. <laughs> it could be something the kid doesn't want, and they're going to do it. <laughs> But eventually, Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And in Genesis chapter 3 is where the story comes from. And it says that as soon as they ate the fruit, all of a sudden they immediately became aware of the fact that they were naked. Now, they had been naked the whole time, but for the first time in their life, they were aware of the fact you know i mean I've, I've got two boys I have a twelve year old and uh a nine year old and uh it's funny man there is no shame in my house <laughs> especially with my nine year old there's no shame anywhere he goes he he's got no problem just he thinks it's funny to rip his clothes off and just run somewhere uh he you know he'll come out of the shower and I'll be watching tv or something and He'll walk in the living room butt naked, and then he'll just bend over and start shaking his butt or something, or he'll be like, hey, check this out. You know, I don't know. And I'm just like, go put some clothes on, boy. And I'll be like, but your tissue's really cute, so. <laughs> but it's funny, you know, I mean, kids, they have this thing where when they're really young, they're not aware of the fact that they're naked. There's this, this innocence about it. But all of a sudden, they reach an age where they feel the need to cover certain things up. You know? Excuse me. My mouth gets dry after singing. Have you ever thought about this? Animals. Animals don't feel the need to cover themselves up. They, They have no awareness of the fact that they're naked. I mean, human beings are the only beings in the universe that have any awareness of nakedness. Why is that? I mean, if I mean your cat doesn't know that it's naked, your dog doesn't know he's naked. If you've ever been to the zoo and gone to look at the monkeys, apparently they really don't know that they are naked. But human beings have this need, this sense of I need to, I need to cover myself up. I need, I need to put some clothes on. You know, and it's like we've gone and we've said, okay, you know, you're good, you're good, you're good. You, you need to put some clothes on, cover that stuff up. We don't want to see that. What does that do to someone's psyche? I mean, at a young age, you know, where it's like, hey, look, you can't be naked. What you have is not good enough. You need to cover it up and hide it. Now, I mean, we know that's not the reason that we get them to put clothes on, that we put clothes on. But there's this need, this sense that we have of we have to cover ourselves up. And in the garden, Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit. They immediately became aware of the fact that they were naked And it says that they felt shame and immediately went and I don't know where they, what how, but somehow they found some needle and thread and a sewing machine and they sewed some fig leaves together to make coverings for themselves. And they covered themselves up. And we do this. You know, we... we, People do this all the time. We try to take the things that we don't like about ourselves, the things, you know, the 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 habits that we have, the addictions that we have, and we try to cover it up and 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 keep anybody from seeing it. I'm not going to let you see the real me. And this is really detrimental to relationships. You know, I mean, people, how how many times have you heard in a marriage where, you know, people get married and then they never really get to know each other because there's this sense of like, you're keeping something from me, I just don't know, I feel like you're not really letting me see you. People do this with God. They feel like they have to hide who they are, the things, that, as if God doesn't know, but The things that they do when no one's looking, they want to hide that from God. And ultimately, it stems from this, this, this thought of, if you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. You wouldn't accept me. We deal with this all the time in the church setting. I mean, more than you guys know, if you really... Knew that I have an anger issue, you wouldn't want me volunteering. You wouldn't want me greeting people up at the front if you knew how easily I've lost my temper so many times. If you only knew the attractions that I feel towards someone of the same sex, you wouldn't want me at this church. If you knew the things that I look at late at night, you wouldn't even want to be seen around me. And people carry this, and they try to hide it. And they feel like they can't come to God. That's, it's the thing that keeps people from church. That's the main thing. I had a friend when I lived in Nashville, and I remember I invited him to church one time. I was like, hey man, you should come to church with me Sunday morning. And he goes, man, if I stepped a foot in the church, I'd I'd melt. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, dude, he's like, God would like strike me dead. He was like, i he's like, I've done way too many things. Like, I I don't deserve to be in church. And it's a shame that's how people feel. You know, and I told them, I was like, dude, no, no, you know, that's that's what church is for. <laughs> You know, but he had it convinced, and he was convinced of it that that's what it was. So Adam and Eve, they they made coverings for themselves, and then this says that they heard the Lord walking in the garden, and they immediately became fearful, and they hid among the trees. And this is what people do: they hide, they try to cover it up, and then they try to hide. You know, and, and there's three things that people try to do in, in hiding the issues that they have. One thing is they'll try to deny it, they'll try to deny that it even exists, just ignore that area of their life. They're just going to kind of dust it up under the rug. I know that I should deal with this probably, but, that, you know, I. They, they busy themselves. I believe that this is why a lot of people stay so busy is because they're trying to just, they're, they're in denial. They're trying to keep their mind off the things that they know need to be fixed in their lives, the issues that they have. Another thing they do is they deflect. And this drives so much, this drives gossip. I'll try to deflect. It's like, yeah, I know that I've got this problem, but have you seen her over there? Have you seen this guy? I know I, I know that I need to lose a, bit, lose a little bit of weight, but man, I'm not as big as that guy over there. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah, I know our house needs, you know, our yard's kind of looking like, you know, I haven't been taking care of it much, but have you seen the guy down the street? And this is what people do all the time. They gossip, and that's what gossip ultimately is. It's, I'm going to talk about someone else and point out their flaws in hopes that the attention won't be on me. You won't notice my issues. I remember when I was in junior high, I had a really difficult time in junior high. High school, great. Loved high school. Junior high was really tough. Uh, you know, I was just a nice guy and you know, I don't, I don't know why but it was like i just had a target painted on my back and people were really just very cruel i was the victim of a lot of uh school bullying and it was really difficult and i remember you know everyone there's this thing to where you know everybody at the school you know they all in junior high they all thought that i they all said that i was gay uh, the guys all said it, the girls all said it, because the girls, and they wouldn't just like whisper, I mean, it was like in my face, like, that. you know, I couldn't walk down the hall from one class to the other without faggot, you know, you know, homo, all that kind of stuff, and I was just like, you know, here I am, I'm like 12, 13 years old, and I'm like, why are they being so mean to me? What's going on? I remember I would come home, and I would cry, and I'd talk to my parents about it, and I tried everything, just ignore it, it'll go away, didn't work, you know, well, you know, say something back to them, that didn't work. Finally, my dad told me to just knock the fire out of them, so I did, and that worked. But, <laughs> that, that shut them up. But it took me three years to get that one figured out. I finally did it, and everybody was just like, jaws dropped, and uh, I'll go ahead and I'll tell the story, because it was pretty funny. So I'm walking out, out right after school, and I have my backpack and, you know, carrying my backpack on one shoulder because I'm, you know, I'm slick like that or whatever, you know? And so, you know, I'm walking and, uh, you know, this group of kids are standing there and one of the guys, he goes, faggot. And I just drop my backpack. I go, that's it, drop my backpack. And I just go up to the guy and I just start like wailing on him, just pounding on him. And he immediately he's like covering himself and he's like, stop, stop. I'm like, I'm like, come on, you wanna fight? Let's fight, fight. And I'm just like punching. And he's covering himself. I'm just like punching him in the back of the head and in the neck. And then, you know, I'm just like, come on, come on. And he just turns around. He goes, I don't want to fight you. I go, who's the faggot now? And then I walk away and grab my backpack. <laughs> Everybody just looked at me and was just like, holy crap. <laughs> they didn't mess with me after that. But unfortunately, it was the end of my ninth grade year, you know. And it was like seventh through ninth grade. It was just like that. But, but uh, what I was going to say is, you know, this one of the guys... I found out later in high school, the guy apologized to me. Uh, not that guy. A different guy apologized to me in high school. He came up to me and he said, listen, he said, I want to apologize. I've been carrying something. And he said, you know how everybody was really mean to you in junior high? I was like, yeah. And he said, well, you know the whole thing about the rumor about you being gay and all that? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I remember. And he said, I w- I helped start that rumor. I was like, "Why?" And he said, "Well, because I'm gay, and I was in denial, and I was really insecure about it, and I didn't want anybody to know." And he said, "So I was just trying to put the attention on someone else." He was like, "I'm really sorry." I was like, "Dude, I was like, it's don't worry about it. It's ancient history, man. It's all good. You know." But that's what we do. We, we try to deflect our insecurities. We try to deflect our flaws so that we don't have to fix them right now. We don't have to work on them. The other thing that we do is we detonate. And, you know, I, I've done this before, you know, but when someone will make us, you know, they'll embarrass us or they'll say something or do something. Maybe someone says something in a certain way and it just triggers it and you detonate and you get hateful and you say the meanest things. Guys do this all the time, like, especially like on the court, you know, like on the basketball court or something like that or on the field because they feel this need to, I've got to prove myself to you. And if you attack me about my playing, you're attacking me about who I am as a man. And I've got to prove to you that I'm a man. And, and you detonate. Sometimes we'll just say the meanest things. Girls are really bad about this. But why? I mean, who are we trying to prove something to? Who is it that you're trying to prove yourself to? Why? Is it a parent? Maybe you had a you know guys. Maybe you had a dad that you'd grown up. He just he called you sissy. All right, Sally, come on. Oh, what, you're gonna cry now. You're gonna be a little girl. Let's go get you some panties and a bra because that's what you are. You're a girl. You're gonna be a wimp. But it seeded something inside of you that started to grow and develop. And now as an adult man, you feel this need to, I've got to prove my manhood to everybody. That's something I struggled with, not because of my dad, but because of the stuff in junior high. God, oh man. I made a lot of stupid decisions just out of trying to prove something to people, to myself. And it was all rooted out of a label that was placed on me. Maybe it was a coach or a teacher. You're never going to make it. You're never going to amount to anything. You are just, you're an idiot. You're useless. You don't try. You're lazy. You'll never do anything. You started to believe that. You're like, you know what? Screw it. What's the point? Why? I'm just my GED. I'm just, you know, uh, there's no point. And now you carry that as an adult on the job. You can't hold a job because of this label that was put on you as a kid, as a teenager, and you believed it. And it's affecting your life. Maybe it was a spouse, someone that was supposed to love you and cherish you, that the two of you helped better each other. But instead, they tore you down. They abused you physically or maybe just verbally and emotionally, which can be even more damaging than the physical. And you're not with that person anymore, but now... You know, your husband, he, he left you and he was sleeping around on you and he just was always critical of the way you looked and now you feel this need to, I, I don't, I'm not pretty enough. I don't look good enough. I've, I've got to try to do more to win a man's affection, to deserve a man's affection. Maybe you were in school. You're sitting at the lunch table. And you see some kids in the corner and they're pointing and laughing in your direction. And you knew that they were laughing about you. You knew they were talking about you. And now, as an adult, you carry that. And anytime time you see someone even glancing in your direction, you immediately think to yourself, they're talking about me. They're laughing about me. For some of you, it might be a promise that you made to yourself when you said, I will never be like that. And so you do anything. You deny, you deflect, you detonate. Whatever you have to do to keep that image up. Because you're living your life trying to prove something to somebody else. And we have these triggers in our lives that have developed and they cause us to make stupid decisions. They cause us to ruin relationships They keep us from being who God created us to be. And we carry these things throughout our lives and we allow them to define us. You know, many of us, we... Many of us don't even take risks in life. Not because we're afraid of failing, but because we're afraid of being seen as a failure. We're much more scared of being seen as a failure than we are of actually failing. And many of us, there's dreams, there's ambitions, there's desires that God has placed in your heart that he wants to do, and you're not willing to risk it. Not because of you're afraid to fail, but because you're afraid of being seen as a failure. You're afraid of being labeled a failure. What, what will they think of me if I fail? And God wants to do something in your life. He wants to do something in my life. But as long as we see ourselves as insignificant, as long as we see ourselves as worthless, as long as as we're never who we were truly meant to be, it won't happen. God asked Adam and Eve two questions. Two questions that I think are important for us to ask ourselves as we kind of wrap this morning up together. And here's the first question he asked. He said this. He called to the man and he said, where are you? And I ask you the same thing today. Where are you? Where are you? When was the last time you were really you? Is there anybody in your life at all who has access to every part of your life and knows exactly what you're dealing with, knows your struggles, knows your secrets. Is there anybody in your life at all that you can be completely real with? Are you hiding yourself, covering yourself up because you believe that if people saw the real you, if they saw these areas, they wouldn't like you. You're not fully giving yourself completely over to God because you You've got, you know, God, I'll give you this part of me, but there's this part right here. I'm going to keep it to myself because it's really messed up and I need to work on it. I'm too ashamed of it. I need to work on it before I can get it, give it to you. And it's a trick from the devil. Because these labels, these things that we carry, they thrive in secrecy. They thrive and grow in darkness. But it also works in the opposite way. When you start to open up to someone and you start to let them really see some of these things, and you talk to them about these issues that you have, it's amazing how when you let a little bit of light in, it starts to kill those issues. It cuts the head off the snake. But the devil will try to get us to keep it secret. And then the second question. Well, first, Adam answered and he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because because I was naked. Again, this is what we're dealing with. This is who we are. We feel this inadequacy. It, It began here. And he said, So I hid. And then God asked the second question, and I think it's so powerful. God said, Who told you that you were naked? In other words, who told you that you are not enough? Who told you that? Who's telling you this? When you look in the mirror and you examine yourself and all you see are flaws, when you lay your head on the pillow at night and all of those doubts come flooding in, all that self doubt, when you feel those things, when you feel that way, who is it that's telling you you are not enough? Because you know what's interesting when I read this story? It's not God. God isn't the one showing up going, Aha! I knew you would do it. I knew it. No. Instead, God's showing up going, Who's telling you these things? Who's telling you this? Satan, I believe in a literal devil. I do believe there is a devil. And the scripture refers to him as being an accuser. Who's telling you that you're naked? Who's telling you these things? Who's planting these ideas in your mind that you are not enough? You know, scripture also says about Jesus, it says this, that while we were still sinners while we were still messed up, while we were still ugly, while we were still at our very worst, Christ died for us. So who is it that's telling you you're naked? Because I can promise you this, it's not God. One more verse as we close. This was written by the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. He was a follower of Jesus. He was extremely instrumental in getting the church launched. And, and he wrote this to a church in Corinth. This comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if, if you want to follow along. This is what he wrote. Look at, look at what Paul said. He said, For we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, he's using a metaphor here because, you know, obviously we don't live in tents anymore, and and he's talking about our bodies. He's using it as a metaphor, talking about our bodies, you know, and and he's saying that one day this body, this, this earthly body that we live in is going to be destroyed. Death comes for us all. Okay, we know that nobody lives forever, that one day this body will decompose, it won't be here anymore. He's saying one day it's going to be destroyed. We know that. But he says, But if you're a follower of Christ, he says, When you're a Christian, this is the hope that we have. He's saying this, we have a building from God, a new body that is coming from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built. By human hands He's saying that one day, this is the hope that we live for, that one day, all the ailments, all the frailty of this life we have, all the frailty of our emotions, of our psyche and the struggle that we live in, he says that one day that will be replaced by a new body with new emotions and a new psyche. And he says, that's the great thing about the Christian faith, is that it's a faith of renewal. A faith of new things, of old things being made new. That's the beauty of it. He says, one day that's going to happen. One day you're going to get a new set of emotions, a new psyche, a new way of seeing yourself. But in the meantime, meanwhile, meanwhile, we groan. In other words, in this life, this is a struggle. This is the way we view ourselves. The way we see ourselves, the struggles that we deal with, that will always be a struggle. It's nothing that that you ever go, hey, I've arrived, and I'm done, and I'm finished, and I don't have to worry about anymore. No. He, He says, while we're here, right here, right now, we groan. We struggle with this. We long to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. We long for a day when we will no longer see ourselves this way. We when one day we see ourselves different, we, when one day we feel complete in what Christ has done for us. He says, because on that day, when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. And this is the hope that we have in Christ. Again, maybe maybe someone brought you here. And, you know, you're, you're not a church person really you know it, it here's the great news about Christianity see if if you're just doing this on your own this this is just a struggle for you this is just the life that you live trying to prove yourself trying to prove that you matter trying to prove that what you do is extraordinary trying to prove that you are needed this this is what you do but here's the great thing is that Christ came and while we we're at our worst. He said, I love you and I accept you. And that's the great thing about it. We don't, we don't have to do anything to get that. Christ, he just gives it freely. And that's the wonderful thing about following Jesus is that when, when you follow him, he says, follow me because you are